Have you ever thought how powerful your own expectations are? They have the power either to uh, amaze you when your expectations are exceeded, or they have the power to utterly crush you when your expectations aren't met. Perhaps on top of that, you could add the fact that your expectations have the power to confound you when something just entirely different happens. Let me give you an example. So for example, imagine there was a new restaurant opening in Amford and the advertising went out. It had a French sounding name. Um, the outside of the building looked wonderful. You are invited to the grand opening. You know, the a la carte menu and all of this sort of thing. And then you went to the restaurant on opening night. Your expectations would be for something special, something, you know, exciting, something glamorous, something worth spending money on, perhaps. And the menu consisted of waffle and beans, chips and beans, um, toast and beans. And that was about it. Your expectations would have been so high and above the reality of the situation, most likely, no matter how good those waffles and beans were, you'd feel a little bit disappointed. Now, how about a new restaurant opens in Amford and from the outside, it really doesn't look like much. Maybe you're handed a sort of a tatty flyer invite, just something that somebody has printed off on their HP printer at home saying, uh, Tuesday, come get beans. Uh, and you thought, well, do you know what? I'm not in the mood for anything particularly special, but I can't be bothered to cook, so I'm gonna go see what this place is all about. And you go into the restaurant and the language remains sort of low level, but everything is done with such care and attention. They use the finest ingredients and you have a really wonderful meal. Now your expectations were down here, but your experience was up here, all of a sudden you leave elated. So expectations can be really powerful things. And I want us to have expectations in our mind as we carry on through the book of Acts. Last week, John could have restarted the ball rolling in Acts chapter 12. Peter, who had been imprisoned, miraculously released, celebrated amongst the church. All these parallels between his captivity and Jesus's death and resurrection, you know, how we might expect our lives to, to go in the same way as Jesus, that we might have expectations to suffer ourselves. Well, we keep the ball rolling. We're just going to start with the last couple of verses of Acts chapter 12 and on into Acts chapter 13, the first story of Saul, who will become Paul, and Barnabas's missionary journeys. So read along with me from Acts chapter 12, verse 24. The word of God spread and multiplied. And after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manayan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then 
And after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so being sent off by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had as their assistant, John. So, here we have it. The church in Antioch. This mixed church. Jews and Gentiles. And more than that, we can see in the leadership of the church, tremendous diversity. Barnabas, who was a Levite, but from Cyprus. We have um, the others from North Africa, Cyrene and Niger. This Manian, who is part of the, the establishment, a close friend he had been at least of Herod the Tetrarch, and as we know, Saul, this former persecutor of the church from a place called Tarsus. This diverse church with this diverse leadership, dedicated to God, praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, reveals to the church that Barnabas and Saul are to be set apart and sent out for a special mission. Paul will later reflect on this and say that God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I love verse 4. Not just sent off by the church or by the other leaders, but by the Holy Spirit. With John in tow to kind of carry the bags and, and do all the grunt work, these men free to be proclaimers of the word of God. What do you expect to happen? Do you expect that things will be plain sailing for them? That could be an expectation that you have. Well, if God sends you out to do something, if God commissions you to do something, then he'll resource you in every way you need and it will be easy. I remember being in an evening talk in university and essentially the speaker was articulating this sense that life had been difficult for him and he decided that God wasn't a God that wanted life to be difficult. So whenever that he came up against something that he struggled with, something that didn't really match the desires of his heart, he decided, well, that can't be God's direction and God's leading. If God is with something, then it will be easy. It'll be fine all the way. Sometimes we can have those expectations. Maybe Paul, Saul, Barnabas, those sending them out thought, you know, God is behind this. It's going to be fruitful. There's going to be success success everywhere we turn we just expect life under God's direction to be plain sailing or perhaps you're more of an Eeyore character and you know from experience that things more often than not don't go well maybe your expectations at this point would be well regardless of God sending them out he's sending them out into a world that just doesn't want to know the world was getting darker more twisted, not like the good old days of AD 1. This is AD 35 we're speaking about and people really just don't want to know anything about God or Jesus. And the expectation is that all that they will face is hostility. Perhaps your expectations from your, um, I don't know, sort of preconceived ideas about the Christian faith and the sorts of people who become Christians is that they will have success within a certain segment of society, but there'll be another segment, maybe intellectuals, thinkers, those who are not so easily conned, who won't come to faith. 
we can have so many expectations in a situation like this. But in our own lives, when we think about being a people like Saul, like Barnabas, like all of the disciples and the church through the ages who have been commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples even in the ends of the earth. So what actually happens? And this isn't, you know, a template, a pattern for every single missionary journey ever taken, but it is enlightening that in the first story that we have recorded of these great missionaries, these evangelists, these church planters, how things go and how they might shape our expectations as we go about proclaiming the word of God, as it were. Acts chapter 13, verse 6, we carry on. When they had travelled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man, Sergius, summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elamas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, he believed. So what were your expectations? My guess is you weren't expecting them immediately to come across a sorceress. Uh, a sorcerer by the name of Bar-Jesus, meaning son of Jesus or son of salvation. My guess is you weren't expecting him to not only oppose Saul and Barnabas, but to try and prevent other people from coming and hearing and listening and responding. Certainly wouldn't have been expecting Saul to stare directly at him and speak God's judgment into his life such that we see in the story. And yet, here we are. This is what happens. Under God's direction, all of our expectations utterly confounded. You see, there was opposition. And we need to be realistic about that in the life of believers, in the mission of the church. That, far from being sons of Jesus, sons of the Most High, there are sons of the devil, enemies of what is right out there, who are desperate and determined to undermine the truth of the gospel, the truth the good news about Jesus Christ. We need to be realistic about that. God sending us out into the world is not a free license to, to be free from suffering and opposition and hard opposition. But it is free license to go with the confidence that when we go, there will be fruit. That, even an intelligent man, a great thinker, Sergius Paulus, 
proconsul high up in the system, in society. He saw what happened and he believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I wonder if that is our expectation as we go about our daily lives or as we conduct special ministries and special outreaches. Do we from the offset expect there to be a hardness out there? An enemy out there who wants to shut us down. But also hearts that God has been preparing. Eyes that are being opened to the truth. People who are ready to be welcomed into the family of the faith. Do you know in our church, we sent off last week um, Tim and Kath to carry on the work that they're about in the Basque region in the south of France wanting to to know Jesus more amongst themselves and to make Jesus more known in that place. Did we send them off expecting fireworks, expecting reports of thousands and revivals and that sort of thing? Did we send them off expecting that they would face hard times? That as the truth was going out, those who are committed to the lies of the enemy would push back and follow back. You know, we really should be praying for people like Tim and Kath, Gloria out in Spain, Hannah and Giovanni who we partner with in Italy. That those folks who are there for this specific reason, some would say commissioned and sent out by God and the Holy Spirit to do this work. Our expectations and therefore our prayers for them and our support for them should be shaped by the the knowledge that they will face opposition, but they will bear fruit. And even over the coming weeks, we've got people more within our church. We've got John, we've got Connor going off to UCCF missions. Apparently going to intelligent people, people who are studying in universities. And they're going to have the opportunity, they're going to be invited and they're going to be inviting others to come and to contend with the truth of Jesus. Are we going to keep them covered in prayer against the enemy? Are we going to give them support that they need and encouragement when they face opposition? Not sons of salvation, but sons of the devil. Champions of the lies. Are we sending them off? thinking, well, that's still be a nice week for them. They'll get to stretch their legs, see a different uh, scenery, but to come back with stories of people's lives turned upside down by Jesus Christ. I want our expectations to be for both. The reality of opposition, but the hopefulness that God is at work even in our hard and difficult world. When he saw what had happened, because he was astonished of the teaching of the Lord, Sergius believed. That's not the end of the chapter. There's actually an awful lot more to go. The pair move on. But is it onwards and upwards? Have they learnt lessons? Can we expect more of the same? Well, actually, we're going to see, yes, we can. And we're going to see it through Paul's first recorded sermon. Acts chapter 13, verse 6, all the way down to verse 41. Paul stood up and he motioned with his hands and he said, Fellow Israelites, you who fear God, listen. 
the God of this people, Israel, he chose our ancestors. He made them to prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and he led them out with a mighty arm. For about 40 years, he even put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. And after this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they, the people, asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, this son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all of my will. From this man's descendants, Paul carried on. He has promised God would bring to Israel the saviour, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think that I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not even worthy to untie the sandals of his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him, Jesus, or the sayings of the prophets that they read every Sabbath, they fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and they put him in a tomb. But... God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the peoples of the world. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. And as to raising him up from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he says also in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, he still fell asleep and he was buried with his father and decayed. But the one, the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, through Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him, from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware. Beware what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. It's got the ring, actually, Paul's first recorded sermon of Stephen's sermon. Do you remember Stephen's sermon? Stephen before he was martyred. If he'd have gotten the chance to finish it and hadn't been stoned, I wager this is probably where he would have ended up, with the 
extension, the offer of life, forgiveness in Jesus to the people there. But Saul, who was part of cutting short that first sermon, now finishes it off for this other audience. And he does. He extends faith and forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ. I love this sermon because, because through it all, grace is on display. Grace doesn't appear out of the blue with the coming of Jesus. Saul is keen to demonstrate that it is exactly the same. It is exactly the same sort of grace that God has always extended towards the people of Israel. When he speaks about the creation of the nation and the blessing and the leading into the land, he begins by saying it's simply because God chose them. And when he's speaking about David and David leaving, leading the people and David leading the people in the will of God, it is simply because God has chosen him rather than Saul, the one who went before, who the people chose. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace, and it culminates in Jesus. Jesus who has come to go further than the law ever could. Not just to be gracious to the people, because that's always been there, but to do a work in which they could truly find forgiveness and life. And do you know what I love most about that message? Isn't that Paul has learned his Old Testament? Isn't that Paul understands those stories of old through the lenses of what Jesus has done? Although that's marvellous and we can certainly learn lessons from him there. I think what's marvellous and I love so much about that sermon is that Paul starts with their world. You see this story of the creation of Israel, the history of the judges, the prophet Samuel, Saul and David and all of those promises made. These are the things that filled the minds filled the hearts, filled the expectations of his hearers. Now for you and I, as we go about our daily lives, 99 out of 100 people we encounter tomorrow wouldn't have a clue what we were going on about and wouldn't care particularly if Jesus was the fulfilment of all those things. But Paul recognises his audience, his hearers, these people's hearts. He knows what it is that they're hoping in, trusting in, longing for. And he's able to join the dots and to show them Jesus is truly what you want. And I think that's what we're supposed to do. As we're commissioned by Christ to go and be disciple makers, to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. As Paul and Connor go off to university campuses, as Tim and Kath return to the Basque region, it isn't first necessarily to give a history lesson of the Old Testament, but to help folks to see that those things that they long for, those things that they desire, those things that they think that they need in their lives can only really satisfy and find fulfilment in Jesus. You think about the sorts of things that people want in order to be whole in our world. Relationships. People chase relationships as if they are the be-all and end-all. And in Jesus, we have a relationship unlike any other. Through Jesus, we can be children of God, our Father in heaven. It's the ultimate. 
It's that thing that's inside of folks that they want, that they desire, finally at last fulfilled. Lots of people want status in lives. They want recognition. They want titles. Well, again, in Jesus, we can be called children of the Most High, sons and daughters of the King. That's a reputation, that's a status that goes beyond anything we might achieve in this world. Some people live and their deepest desire is just for a sense of peace. Peace and quiet, peace, the absence of strife, peace, contentment. Jesus inviting folks who are at war with themselves to him says, I will give you peace. Peace even that goes beyond your understanding. Do you see Paul here models for us, not regurgitating the history of Israel, although sometimes that is so important and would be helpful for you and I, if we're believers, to learn and to understand how God has always been this gracious God. The grace of God doesn't appear out of the blue in Jesus. This is who he is from eternity past to eternity future. But here Paul models for us, reading people's hearts, and helping them to see how Jesus is the thing that they truly desire the most. My prayer is that John and Connor and Tim and Kath and Gloria and um, uh, Hannah and Giovanni, that they would be doing that where God has called them to operate. But what is the response? Well, what would you expect, given that we've already read one story of them going to a place, sharing the word of God, being opposed strongly, even this demonic sort of opposition, and yet bearing fruit even in the life of this intellectual socialite man? Well, let's keep on reading. Chapter 13, verses 42 through to the end. As they were leaving, the people urged them, or in some translations it says the people begged them, to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. And after the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them, and they continued to urge them in the grace of God. Then, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are now turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stood up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. Get out, we don't want to hear you, we don't want to see you, we don't want to give you a foot in the door any longer. Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
What were your expectations? Well, hopefully, after the first story, it would have been for more of the same. That they would face opposition, but that they would see fruit. And that is exactly what happens. Some folks grab hold of it. Some folks embrace it. Some really seem to understand it and want to go with it. While others, their hearts are hardened. There's an old expression, isn't there, that the same sun that melts the ice, the same sun that melts the ice, hardens the clay. It's the same word being preached as some are drawn in and some push themselves away. But I want to just quickly investigate those people who do respond positively. There's really strong language about how they respond. It says that they begged them, urged them to continue speaking about these matters. I wonder, brothers and sisters, how many of us could say that we are people who begged, urged, desperately desired more of the things of God? How many of us are just satisfied with what we already know? I was reading... In 1 Peter chapter 2, when he's encouraging the believers in the face of opposition and hardship to be like newborns, craving spiritual milk. I wonder how many of us are just content with where we are, content with the knowledge of salvation that we have, content with the relationship that we have presently with Jesus. The example in scripture is so often of a people who are desperate for more. People who are begging for more. People who are craving more and more of Jesus in their lives. I wonder, is that us? It should be us. It should be us. But here we are. These stories of two men being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And what it is that they did. What it is that they faced. And these aren't just things for John and Connor to go off and learn from and put into practice. They're not just things for Hannah and Giovanni in Italy or um, Tim and Kath off in the south of France in the Basque region. These are things for you and I. If you are someone who has responded to Jesus, who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who cherish the truth, then we are commissioned by Christ to go and to be his witnesses wherever he has called us. And for some of you, you may be sitting at home and you may be stirred and you may be thinking, is there somewhere special where God is sending me? Let's pray about it. Let's explore whether that's the case. But at the very least, we can say that God has commissioned all of us to be his witnesses where we are. And so this morning, I just want you to have these expectations that when, not just through living life, but when you share Jesus, share Jesus as the answer to whatever question it is the people that you God has placed you amongst has. When you share Jesus as the answer, you will face opposition, but you will bear fruit. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the stories that are passed down to us from generations and generations of believers. 
We're here in the book of Acts. We might likewise uh, bear witness and testimony to stories and amongst our church here in Ammonford and all of the churches that have existed in between. Lord, it helps us have this realistic set of expectations that when we speak of you, some will come and some will throw rocks. Lord, I pray that even given those options, we would be a people who so value the truth, so love Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah, our Saviour, grace to us for forgiveness and life eternal, that we would be willing to go out, to speak up, to live for others knowing Jesus more. Be with us, we ask, by your Spirit, as you so clearly were through Saul and Barnabas and the disciples in these stories. Carry us along, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.